Good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us. Uh, today is Thursday, June the 30th, and it is National Social Media Day. I didn't even know we had a social media day. I thought it was every day. <laughs> right? Um, I have my good friend, Annette Bush, here. She is the president of Annette Bush Consulting Services. And she focuses primarily, primarily because she has a jack of all trades, many hats to wear, focuses primarily on FQHCs, billing, coding, um, provider education and provider review for FQHCs. And I have always had a curiosity about FQHCs. So thanks for being here today, Annette. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's always fun to talk about FQHC, right? Yeah. So, so what are FQHCs? Well, an FQHC is a um, federal qualified health center. And the basic um, idea behind them is to serve the underserved. Your, think of your homeless, um, your medically uninsured um, patients, um, your unemployed, um, and even people that have regular insurance can even go to an FQHC, but they try to focus, their main focus is um, the children and the ones that are underinsured and things like that. But I could go there with my health insurance if I wanted to. Yeah, I've, hearing... I've, I've gone. They're great doctors. Yes. And there's so many services that are under one roof of an FQHC. Yes. It's kind of a, I used to call it a, a one-stop shop. You could go in and... <laughs> you know, have all these services done at the same time, because um, one of the things that that happens at an FQHC is when you get some of the um, some of the patients that are seen there have um, it's hard to get them to come back in once you get them there. So I've heard that. Yeah. Um, you, you get, you know, a lot of the patients that don't even speak English or, you know, they don't understand what the provider is trying to tell them that they need. Um, so the providers, bless their hearts, they do what they can at, you know, as they have them there. Um, so, yeah, it's it's kind of a one stop shop. They try to get as much done as they can in the time slot that they have. So I have a uh, I'm teaching a, a course right now and one of the students works for an FQHC. And she said patient came in for an upper respiratory and walked out with an IUD. And I was like, um, OK, yeah. but. I guess, you know, knowing that the patient might struggle to come back in or they may not see them, they want to make sure they take care of all of their needs at one time. Exactly. And I've had the different providers tell me many times because as I've reviewed the progress notes and talked about that chief complaint, why they're here, and then I get down to the medical decision making, I'm like, well, then you've talked about 10 other things. And they said, well, yeah, because when we were done with the visit, then they, you know, they they were out of their blood pressure medicine and they hadn't checked their diabetes, the A1C in a while. And, you know, maybe they should have that checked. And, oh, by the way, I got stung by a bee the other day. Is that infected? You know, they, they come up with like a whole gamut of things, you know, and it's not like you can say, come back tomorrow because a lot of these, a lot of the patients, they may not have transportation, um, you know, or they just don't understand. And they just think, and a lot of times these are the, the providers are the only people that these patients get to talk to. And they, they just want to sit and talk with their doctor because they're friendly and they're, they're going to help them. I know that a lot of them also have mental health services on site Absolutely. as well. So like, like you were saying, if they, if this yes. is the only provider they get to talk to, or, you know, if they've got issues that need to be discussed, then 
now's the time. Like you said, they're here, they're right now. Yes. And what, what a lot of the places like to do that I know that I'm familiar with is they'll, they'll try to recommend they talk to someone and they would do what we call a warm handoff, kind of like a meet and greet. Like they'll say, we have a, you know, you know, Lisa, whoever is on staff and will you be willing to talk with her just for a few minutes? And while they're there, you know, they'll have somebody go check and, and get that um, licensed clinical social worker and say, do you have, you know, they'll have spaces open on their calendar different times of the day for specifically for warm handoffs. So it's a great, it's a great um, thing for them to do. And then um, a lot of times they, you know, they'll, sometimes they decline and it's the providers will document and, you know, it's, it's their prerogative to, and, but most of the time they do take them up on it. But I think that's a great service having a, the behavioral health providers on staff and having them at each of the clinics is huge. When I, when, when I first, when we first started heavily into the behavioral health, you know, we, we didn't have one at every clinic. They traveled a lot or they did a lot of the telehealth, um, mm-hmm. you know, the providers at one clinic and the patients at the one of the other locations. So that was doable which is another good thing. Telehealth has been great for the federal qualified health centers. And uh, during the pandemic, you know, we all, everybody, the regular providers got to transition into telehealth and that was all new to them. And oh my goodness, teaching and going through oh, yeah. all of the elements, you know, that you had to, you know, they would just say, Hey, yeah, we had a telehealth, you know, visit today. And I'm like, okay, well, why and where were you and where was the patient? And they Where's know. Your documentation? Yeah. So that's, that's what I do. I kind of educate them. And a lot of them would say, well, I didn't even know we had to put all that in a note. <laughs> right. And, and I hear that a lot. I hear that. I didn't know, yeah. um, type of thing. I'm, I am really curious. How did you find your way to FQHCs? Where was, how did your journey go there? Okay. So, um, I'm what I am probably, I always hear a lot of the stories where, um, coders, um, find their way into this field by, because they started out with working in a doctor's office, doing front office or what have you. I would, I am not that person. I decided to, I, I had a midlife crisis or something and said, I'm going back to school and I'm learning a totally different field. I worked in real estate all my life. Um, I, I graduated high school on a Friday and I started working on a Monday and worked in real estate. And I still, to this day, that's my, still my part-time gig. So um, over 30 something odd years, um, been doing title searching, but it just got, it just got boring to me. I'm to, I'm the person that, you know, once you get to a certain point, there was nowhere else for me to go to further advance. And I kind of got bored with it. So um, this was medical coding was something that I was looking into um, almost 30 years ago after I had, when I was uh pregnant with my son. Cause I was thinking, okay, I'm home with him. Now's the time to do something different. So I went back to school and got my uh, billing and coding degree and got my, um, CPC before I graduated. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it lucked out because I had to do an, a 12 week externship. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was, so I'm working full time, going to school part-time in the evenings. And then I had to do an externship and I'm, I'm like, when am I going to do this? Because I work during the day, what am I going to do? So um, thank goodness the job that I had allowed me to work what I could. And then I was able to leave at like at noon and go working. Uh, I fe- the, the local 
doctor's office here where I live in town um, is a federal qualified health center. And I did not know that at the time. I was just oh. thinking, if I can get my externship there, that's like two minutes from my house. I can work, go there, do my extern and, you know, and everything would be great. And then once I got in there, I'm doing my extern and, oh my gosh, you know, just learning all the new, like I, you know, there's like, you know, how to code, you know, different specialty codes for Medicare and Medicaid. Uh, the payments were throwing me for a loop. Posting payments, I'm not figuring out why Medicaid pays this when we build this and why are we getting paid so much more? And I just had tons of questions, but I kind of just um, magically got thrown into it, I guess. And it was, it has been and always will be super challenging because I kind of had to figure it all out on my own, learn the Medicare manual. Trial by fire? Yes. Yeah. Um, so I, it was kind of, it, it just kind of worked out that way, I guess, because I did my externship with the local doctor's office here in town and found out, I didn't even know there was, you know, we've got like six or seven different clinics all over, you know, in the, in the th two or three surrounding counties. So just learning that, you know, just, it was just a lot. <laughs> I don't know. I just yeah, kind of got a lot of people though, Annette find themselves in a particular specialty by accident like that, you know, yeah. um, not intending to go into that specialty. I had my friend Jennifer McNamara on not too long ago, and she explained that she had applied for a job in one area and they said, wait a minute, you know about this type of coding and sent her across the hall for a totally different job than she had anticipated. So, um, sometimes that is the case. We just get thrown into certain areas and we've got to, figure that out. So well, that's kind of how I got into my auditing position because I worked in the billing department for two and a half years, but I was doing it PRN. I'm, I'm using air quotes as PRN because I was still doing a 30 to 35 hour work week. Oh and um, they came to me and said, okay, well, you're a certified coder and we need somebody to work with the providers and go through their notes because at an FQHC, the provider does all their coding. They not only do their own, they see the patients, mm -hmm. they prescribe, they order the labs, what have you, they have to do all the documentation, but we also rely on them to do all the coding. And that's hard because we were talking earlier, they don't even get trained how to do coding. They don't even get a basic coding class. So that's gotta be challenging. Yeah, so they asked me if I would be interested in, this was before um, ICD-10 started, so they came to me and asked me if I would be willing to um, do the coding audits and educate the providers, meet with them on a monthly ba basis, and not only that, um, prepare a PowerPoint presentation and go to every provider meeting next year and teach them ICD-10 before it comes out. So, <laughs> no pressure, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm never, one to, I'm never one to say no, even if I don't know what I'm doing, I'll say, yep, sure. I'll do that. Yep. I'll do my best and we'll get her done. <laughs> and, uh, and that's, that's what I did. And I've heard, uh, I think Linda Martine said the same thing when, when she was on the show was, you know, um, that's what makes us very good at what we do is we accept the challenge. And even though no one's paying us to do it or no one is, forcing us to take a certain class or read an article or, or take a webinar. We as coders, we're constantly educating ourselves to be better, to, to have more opportunities available to us, to be the best at what we're doing. 
Um, yes. And that's difficult. It's difficult to have to have that drive, that motivation to um, not only am I going to figure it out, but I'm going to be very good at it as well. Well, and I'm the type of person that if I don't understand something, I'm going to research and research and research until I can figure it out in my head. And then I'm clear enough to where if, if I've got it, then I can explain it to somebody else, then I'm good. But if something stumps me and I don't know, I'm still, I, I, I could research it for days just because it's still in my head and I still have to, I'm still thinking about it. So, what are some of your favorite research references, your resources? Um, well, I live, yeah, I live with, um, in, on the Indiana Medicaid website, they have some provider modules for, um, uh, claims and processing. They have a claims and processing manual. And then there's also one for, um, FQHC specifics, um, specifically, um, they have a manual there. And then I also use Medicare, um, chapters nine and 13 a lot. Um, I reference those a lot. The Medicare um, manuals. Yes, yeah. they don't get enough love. I think people don't remember that the rules are written. We yeah. just need to know where to find them and follow them. Exactly. And, yeah. I, you know, I do sign up for like the MLN. I do sign up for the listserv items to, you know, I get my I get my anytime there's a new bulletin or a new MLN or, you know, things like that. I do get those emails. But I'm going to admit some days I'm a little busy and I let them pile up. <laughs> um, I know where to go. I know where to go and check just to make sure I can kind of skim through them just to see if I've missed anything from the week. Um, but yeah, those are very handy, handy to have. And if I ever forget that I, you know, how to bill something or is that a billable service or whatever, um, I always have to remind myself to go back. Just you got to go to the state plans and, and your CMS websites and just to see what guidance they have for you, because that's kind of what you really have to rely on. It's important that everybody knows to sign up for emails, email notification. Um, there's no magic like Medicare, Medicaid God out there that's going to spontaneously know your email address and send it to you. You have to go in and request to be part of those listservs so that you are getting those email and and i'm just like you annette i'm going to be honest my emails pile up i'm probably dealing with about 100 emails a day some of it works some of it junk some of it information and i i've got to discipline myself if nothing else i flag them and then once a week i hit all my flagged items right just to yeah. Just pan it and just see, is there anything that I am working on that I need to know about? Oops, sorry about that. Um, is there anything that I need to know about? Yeah. So uh, I want to make sure that our audience knows that you've got to be active in this. To, to know what the updates are, to know what's coming up, you've got to go in and find your, your, your um, list servers. You know, Sign up for those things. And they're not hard. Look for the little mail envelope when you go to a website or contact us on the website and it's gonna take you to some sort of a page, sign up for our newsletter, sign up for our updates. Um, yes. When you go to CMS, CMS will give you like this laundry list of all the things. Don't yes. just take whatever you, you want, take whatever it is that you need, sign up for what you need. Everything isn't gonna help you out. Or at least that's been my experience. And that's true and I do, and I do probably get, you know, 10, 15, 20 emails just a day. I don't, I don't get as many as you. Um, <laughs> but um, 
that's one thing that um, even though you sign up for the emails during the pandemic and with telehealth and everything like that, you get one every five minutes because they're constantly changing something. And once you've learned how to bill something with, with a certain place of service code, a certain modifier, you know the changes before the payers get their systems updated. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once they get the system updated, then it's going to change again. So there's always changes and that's just, you have to stay on top of it. Yeah. I, I, it actually makes me nervous when somebody says, we've always done it this way. Yeah. I, I automatically know I, I have something, an opportunity for you to, mm-hmm. to be better. There are changes. It doesn't matter how long you've been doing that specialty. There's that's one thing we can count on in healthcare is that everything changes. And just because mm-hmm. you got paid doesn't mean that you're going to get to keep that or that it was processed right. And you know, the, the payers themselves, they only have a certain number of edits in place. And mm-hmm. sometimes they realize that they missed something and go back and pull it. And suddenly you've get an, an uh, overpayment request, you know, yes. so yes. changes and things like that are so very important. So I have to ask the question, Uh-oh. what's one of the biggest challenges with FQHCs? What turns you off about FQHC billing, coding, educating, any of the the nuances there? Well, I wouldn't say there's really anything that turns me off just because there's different challenges no matter where you look. And I've sat on all ends of the spectrum as far as since I got to do the billing and coding, working with the providers. Um, the hardest challenge is a couple of them, I guess. One of them is uh, training new billers that come on board because usually they come from what I call outside world, <laughs> commercial mm-hmm. world. Um, and then you, they come in to FQHC and they have to learn, you know, the T codes that Medicare must have, the G codes uh, that Medicare must have, the certain, you know, why are you getting your PPS rate? They don't understand the one payment rate, um, the different modifiers in the place of service. And we also have, um, you know, vaccines for children. We can't bill those vaccines out if we use vaccines for children. So you have to change your fees and you have to work. You have to touch each claim, each line item on each claim and make sure everything's, you know, tied up with a bow before you send it. Otherwise you're going to be working AR and rejections for the rest of your life. So billing is tough a little bit until you get it down. And whenever I would train a new biller, you know, we'd always hand them a notebook and they would take, you know, a notebook full of notes. Um, working with the providers, um, you know, before the guidelines changed for E&M, uh, that was always challenging for me because of the HPI qualifiers. I'm like, you just needed one more to, you know, to meet the element, the right one, yes. and just, just, you know, teaching the providers, but that's been fun too, because the providers that I, all the providers that I work with have always been great and they've always appreciated my feedback and, and my knowledge, I guess, you know, so that's always good. It's, it's hard when we're working with providers in education because they, they think with a clinical mind and yes. they don't understand that we're not talking to them about their clinical, how they're treating their patients. We're talking about how they're going to get paid by somebody else because yeah. the patient isn't, isn't even really paying the bulk of that visit we're making sure that the payer 
their requirements have been satisfied for them to pay that bill. I'll always say that medical necessity is, is only half of the sentence. It's medically necessary for a payer to pay the bill is what yeah. we're looking at. Of course, you know, I, I really truly believe all providers are doing ethical things. I, I live in that world where I, I choose to see that. And unfortunately, I also live in that world where in compliance, I see a lot of other things, but I really feel like they want to do the right thing. Um, yeah. You know, they just don't understand why we need certain things to prove to the payer that we've met their requirements. And that's that conversation is so difficult sometimes. It is. And I've had that many times with the providers. And, you know, it's I just say the same things, you know, that's just that's what they want. I mean, they have to know and you have to remember not everybody that's reading the note is clinically clinically trained, especially, you know, this note could be read by the patient. And, you know, we want to make sure they're going to understand what you did. Mm -hmm. So uh, just try to explain it to them that way. I do have, you know, there have been some providers over the years. They always want to make sure they're getting paid on their services that they're doing. So I would get emails, random emails, you know, Annette did, um, you know, are my claims getting paid? Is Medicaid paying, paying on my claims? And is Medicare paying with the new G code? And did I do this right? Or, you know, I do get a lot of, so they do care. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just challenging sometimes, especially when you get the same working for FKT, you get paid the same PPS rate across the board and what are they going to cover and what are they not? So, and, and you know, you have to have a valid face-to-face -face encounter for Medicaid and Medicare. Um, so it's, it's just kind of challenging because they think they can do pretty much anything, the providers, but then you have to remind them, well, you know, that's not a covered service. So let's make sure we're doing what we're supposed to be doing and we're not going to get paid this time, but next time this is probably how we should do it. So just trying to cover certain things with them for FQHC, um, you know, just kind of keep that in mind because there are, um, they, we do get a list of codes that's covered and we need to make sure, you know, that they're on the list. Otherwise to us, it's not a valid face-to-face -face encounter and we're not going to get paid. So. Gotcha. Now you said you get paid, you get paid one price for the patient. Does it matter what level of service or do you have levels of service in FQHCs or it's a flat fee for seeing that patient today, whether it's a splinter or it's for chronic conditions? Yeah, we call it a PPS rate. Um, I call it a PPS rate for Medicare and Medicaid. Um, so what happens is um, for Medicaid, for instance, um, no matter what we bill, level two, three, four, five, we're going to get paid whatever that PPS rate is for the year, whatever Medicaid says. Like, I'm not even sure exactly what it is for this year. I want to say, I'm just going to say a number. I'm going to say like two yeah, yeah. So we would get paid on any level of service that we bill $260. And what they would do is, so before 2021, what they would do is pay, say they would say pay $50 on every level three. And then at the end of the, I think it's at the end of the year, someone, one of the, uh, like the CFO or someone would have to file a cost report to Medicaid on all the, on all the visits that we had for the year. It might be for the month. Uh, or even for the quarter. And then what the, what Medicaid would do, we'd have to file that report to the state. And what they would do is pay the difference on all of those. So it's like a cost report. So we'd get paid on the back end. We call it a wrap payment. 
So uh -huh. it's, it's very technical. It's very hard to explain to a provider. And they would say, well, if we're getting the, paid the same amount, why do I have to wait till the end of the three or level four? Yeah. And, you know, I, I always tell them that you have to still code it as a service that we would normally bill. You can't get that one number. You can't get stuck on that one number, getting paid that one number. So I, I understand what you're saying, but I understand how a provider would get confused by why are you nitpicking my documentation? Um, because we still need to show the appropriate level of service that was provided today, regardless of the payment. So those patients that are coming in for the upper respiratory, you give them the Z-Pack, 99213, out the door they go. But those other patients that you took more time with, that documentation needs to show what it was that you were doing that was the 214 level. So yeah. I see that. What about um, the different types of services like EKG and x-ray and urinalysis? So are there additional payments for that or is it covered under the, the PPS payment? It's covered under the PPS payment and we do the, they do the same for Medicare as well. So you have to turn in every HICS PICS code and every code that you did for that service on the claim. And then what's going to happen is um, you will get paid one rate, the same rate across the board, and they'll pay on that G code. And then the other services will go in on a cost report. Uh, so some of those services will go in on a cost report, or um, you can also file um, some of those. Uh, so we file our me our Medicare claims would go to part A. I know mm -hmm. this is going to get very confusing. No, no, I'm following you. I mean, I, I think some of our listeners, they might get a little confused, but I'm so curious right now. Oh. It's so technical. So we would file our claims. To, we have to file our claims to part B because we're outpatient. Being FQHC, we're outpatient. Uh -huh. some, of the service, some of the services we can file to part A. If you choose to, I know some FQHCs don't. Um, and other other than that, some of the services like your um, your flu shot, your pneumonia shot, and things like that, you still have to turn those in on your claim. But those will also go on a cost report, and you will get reimbursed on a cost report that way. So it's just knowing how what right. codes are going to split off your claim and what codes are going to go in on a cost report. So teaching a new biller how. Why, you know, explaining to them why we didn't get paid on this line, but we did on this line. And you have to just put, put it over to the adjustment column because we're just going to turn it in on the cost report and we will get reimbursed. You're just not going to see it <laughs> it's, right now. It's a lot, right. of, a lot of technicality involved. Yeah, but that's so interesting. Thanks for sharing that with me. I am I am definitely interested in learning more about FQHCs. That that seems to me um as a consumer, as, as a biller coder, all of it seems very interesting to me. So I know you and I are going to have some more talks coming up about sure. uh, FQHC. I want to learn more. So definitely. There's a lot now, to know. Let me tell you. <laughs> now, what if somebody else out there, the audience members want to reach out to you? Maybe they're in an FQHC and they need you to come and help educate or uh, do a review and uh, work with maybe the billing office or the coding office. How do they reach you? Um, sure. Yeah, I have um, my email is Annette at abaudits.com. Um, the name of my company is Bush Consulting Services. And my number is 317-371-1729. 
and I'll be happy to talk with anybody that has any questions. Uh, if I can guide you in the right direction, I'll, I'll surely try. If I don't know the answer, I'll help you research. Two heads are better than one the way I see it. So sometimes it's difficult to find the answer to some of these questions. So well, that's what, what we've can. been talking about during this whole uh, season is networking, connecting with people. You're never going to know everything. If you think that that was the intention is you're going to be the best, the best, you're never going to be the best, the best. But if we network together, you and me, Caitlin Brock, Kimberly Jolivette Williams, Jennifer McNamara, Terry Fletcher, like all of our friends together between us, we do know everything. So yeah. It's so very exciting. And um, I don't want, I just want to talk to the audience and let you know that since today is social media day, we expect that you're going to connect with both of us on LinkedIn. If you're already connected with us, say hi. You know, it's good to see. How you doing? Anything great coming in your life? You know, um, share with us. So that way we can keep our relationships fresh and up to date there. Um, make sure that you're checking out our website, Sterling Global Solutions. Lots of great education coming up, guys. We currently have a, um, a some webinars that we're having, an annual wellness visit. We're really anticipating the new guidelines for E&M that are coming out from the AMA soon. Yes. Yep. And um, so we hope that you will all join us. We are also on Facebook, Sterling Global Solutions. Um, we're on Instagram and on Twitter. Make sure you connect with all of us. If uh, you forget how to get a hold of Annette, reach out to us and we will hook you up with Annette. No problem, guys. And we really appreciate you being here with us today. And we look forward to seeing you again in two weeks. It was Thanks my so pleasure. Much. Thank you for having me. It was nice to talk to FQHC and not to get too into too much detail. <laughs> I, I'm thrilled, Annette. I am absolutely thrilled. I'm so interested now in FQHCs. Um, I am learning that, that a lot of different specialties out there, um, there's so many little intricacies and nuances for that specialty. And yes. it, it excites me. So thanks so much. I appreciate you taking this time and, and being with welcome. us today. Yeah, you're very welcome. It was my pleasure. Thank you. I'll see you next time. Okay. Take okay. care. Thanks. thanks for watching.